everyone. Welcome to the Fairmont Bridge. City of Fairmont's official podcast where you can join us weekly to hear from city employees, elected officials, and local figures to hear about the basic functions and inner workings of our local city government, as well as learn about current and upcoming projects. My name is Alex Petrie. And I am Hannah Turner. And we are both employees within the City of Fairmont's planning department. Today, we are joined by another department head from one of our city departments. We are joined by Police Chief Steve Shine. Hannah, why don't you tell us a little bit about Chief? Stephen Shine was born and raised mainly in Morgantown, West Virginia, where he grew up in low-income households and began employment at 14 years of age. At 17, while in high school, he enlisted in the Army Reserve and received an honorable discharge from the Army in 2004 at the rank of Staff Sergeant. He graduated from Morgantown High School in 1992 and went on to attend Fairmont State University. During attendance at Fairmont State in 1994, he saw that the Fairmont Police Department was hiring police officers and tested for them, ultimately getting hired in 1995. Steve continued his education and received his bachelor's degree from Fairmont State in 1998, but continued to attend classes in several other fields. He was promoted to the rank of sergeant with the Fairmont Police Department July 2007 and worked as a supervisor in the patrol division for the next three years. In 2010, he was promoted to lieutenant and transferred to Fairmont Police Department Investigations Division, where he was in command of the detective and task force units. In 2015, then-Chief Kelly Moran announced that he was retiring, and Shine was selected to be the interim police chief before being permanently appointed as chief in September of 2015. Steve has completed more than 1,500 hours of certified law enforcement training in various specialties throughout his employment with the city of Fairmont. He resides with his wife of 15 years, Chelsea, whom he has dated from 1997, and has continued to support him and been by his side throughout his career. Chief, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This yeah. is this is one that has been highly requested. And yes, <laughs> we're, highly requested. We're glad you're here. <laughs> so just to get started, um, what are the primary duties of your position as police chief? I get to plan, direct, and exercise general supervision over the uh, activities of the police department, coming up with uh, general guidelines and rules and regulations in coordination with the city manager, get to make recommendations to her for appointments, promotions, dismissals of officers, policy implementation, and things like that, generally review the activity of the officers, enforce disciplinary measures when needed, and uh, just basically direct the investigation of uh, police investigations and the interaction of the police with the public and our role in the community. So can you give a brief overview of how the department is structured? I know in your bio we talked about several different um, areas that you've been involved with within the department. So can you just give us an overview of how it's structured? Right. So the Fairmont Police Department is actually located at the uh, Fairmont Public Safety Building at 500 Quincy Street. So they're within the police department side of it because the fire department has the, uh, one half, we have one half. You'll find a municipal court, parking enforcement. Police department also supervises the court clerk. However, we don't influence a municipal court judge or have any involvement in his or her appointment or uh, their actions at, at hearing. Uh, we're just a, I'm just a personnel supervisor for them. Public safety building also houses many of the finance and planning department records. We have a budget of about $4.24 million that goes to personnel, about 22% of the city's expenditures. Fairmont now has 36 sworn officers, four of which are on probation. Basically gives us 34 officers that are working as what we call solo unit responding units. They're able to drive the car on, the, on their own, go out and answer, answer calls on their own. Uh, we have five full-time and two part-time civilians uh, that work in administration, service, records, court, and parking. Our officer 
organization is usually what people are wanting to know about. Within our uh, police department, we have two lieutenants underneath of me. Uh, one handles patrol, and the other one handles investigations. Gotcha. So from there, we have a sergeant that's assigned to each one of the patrol shifts. Afternoon, day, and midnight, we work eight-hour shifts at the police department. We also have a sergeant that's in charge of staff services and one sergeant that's assigned to investigations. Gotcha. That, okay. That's how we're set up. Out of the 34 officers that we have, we have five sergeants, two lieutenants, and myself. We have six investigators, two of which are supervisory personnel, and the mm-hmm. other ones are just uh, detectives and task force officers. And I always have been able to tell when I run into a detective somewhere or just a regular officer, the detectives do not wear the typical uniform of a police officer, correct? That's correct. They can for certain occasions and special events, but typically they're assigned to uh, wear plain clothes. Uh, dress up but there's no suit and tie and there's no shave mandate or facial hair mandate or anything like that and that's just so that they can uh, interview better blend into the public more less uh, intimidating less intimidating create kind of that softer interview I think that that's a good thing for people to know too when they see them yeah out in the public yeah so you mentioned that there is both the investigations and the patrol division so can you give us a light breakdown of the patrol division? Um, first off, what exactly does a patrolman do? I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but how many shifts are there? How many officers are on each shift? And um, how do they patrol? And what are the zones? I know that's a lot for you, but... <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The patrol areas of the city are broken down into three different zones. We have zone one, which is west side, okay. uh, pretty much Fairmont Avenue going out. We have east side, which is zone three, That's everything on the um, east-north side of the bridges. Then we have what's called north side, which is zone two, Bellevue area, downtown, things like that. We have a 24-hour day coverage, of course, with a minimum of three officers on patrol at any given time. Each officer is generally assigned a zone of responsibility that can change at any time depending on the type of call or the need for the response to the city. Generally, we handle all the requests for police action in the city. Uh, it's not like on TV where if there's a big incident, the states or the, the feds roll in and take over. Due to occasional call volume, we'll have uh, mutual aid call-outs with other departments in our area. And we also assist them with their investigations outside of the city. Gotcha. Uh, but that's not a a usual thing. I just want to make sure that people understand that sometimes when there's a police action that takes place, it's not always necessarily a Fairmont officer that does it. Mm -hmm. We really have a good working relationship with the DEA, uh, the BATF, the U.S. Marshal Service, the FBI, uh, you know, all the federal agencies uh, that we work with in the area, as well as the Marion County Sheriff's Department, State Police, Fairmont State University, Campus Police, Natural Resource Police, uh, State (laughs) Parole, State Federal Probation, uh, Whitehall Police Department. And those are all agencies that can operate in the city with law enforcement uh, control. Uh, So, yeah, it's not just that we're the only game in town, um, but usually they defer to our ability to handle a situation. So each each agency has their own collection of assets that we don't hesitate to request gotcha. to use if it's needed. And we've also offered our specialized resources to them, um, you know, here at, outside the city and even in the region, uh, whole North Central West Virginia region. I think that uh, we're the largest uh, law enforcement unit assigned to Marion County and have the largest call volume at any given time. Like I said, there may be a whole multitude of other agencies that work here too. Okay. 
So just just to just to clarify, are our officers able to assist outside of the city jurisdiction? We can. Okay. We, we usually only do it if it's needed or there's some type of felony event. Gotcha. Uh, we operate under a state statute. It's called mutual aid. And okay. Basically, if somebody needs assistance or we need assistance, we're able to request that help from other law enforcement agencies that may have additional resources or specialties okay. or anything like that. And you said that there are always two officers on patrol. Does that mean two in each zone? We we always have three officers, at three. least on shift, okay. one for each zone. Uh, right now, with okay. our manpower, we have about six to eight officers that are actually assigned to uh, each shift, afternoon, uh, day, and midnight shift. Uh, that gives us about four to four to six officers that may be available at any given time. It's just that our minimum is three people. So gotcha. with holidays, vacations, days off, special events, things like that, we like to maintain three officers working at any given time to be able to respond to calls for service. Okay, great. Yeah. And um, and there are three different shifts, correct? Correct. And yes. so what are the, how are those shifts broken out? Uh, 7.30 in the morning to 3.30 in the afternoon is what we consider day shift. 3.30 in the afternoon to 11.30 at night is afternoon shift. 11.30 at night to 7.30 in the morning is our midnight shift. You guys are always, we we always say whenever we're here, it's like at shift change between day shift and afternoon shift. There's always something happening and you guys have to go. We see police officers going out for a call and it's like every day around four, four mm-hmm. o'clock, three thirty, four o'clock, right at shift change. It seems to always happen that way. And depending on the time of day, I know sometimes it can look like we have a lot more officers than we do it's because if something does happen at shift change you usually have that overlap of officers that are showing up plus if something happens during the day on shift change you have both shifts plus you have administrators like myself and the lieutenants plus you have all the detectives available so Mm -hmm. there's a whole host of resources that we can pull from to accomplish any certain situation it's not that we always have 15 cops on duty at any Mm -hmm. given time it's just sometimes that's the way things work out yeah now before we roll into the next question as police chief how often do you go out on a call my role is mostly administrative right if i go on a call it's probably i'd I'd say five calls five to ten calls a week gotcha Uh, and it's usually in some sort of support uh position whether to oversee some sort of supervision or something that i witness myself uh, while i'm out and about or maybe it's just a, a special need that i know that i can address while i'm out so okay i'm not on the routine dispatch for for calls okay so moving on to the next um, division can you give us a breakdown of the investigations division Sure. Our investigations division uh, consists of our task force, uh, which is the Three Rivers Drug and Violent Crime Task Force, and the Detective Bureau. So there's two different subsets within patrol, kind of like shifts. Um, they, they work in separate offices. Uh, right now, our lieutenant position in that division is assigned to the task force, and the sergeant position for investigations is assigned to detectives. That can flip-flop depending on the specialties or the um, or, or what uh, training that particular supervisor has. But we have two detectives um, that are in the task force and four detectives to the detective bureau. Again, those include supervisors. So um, our task force is probably what you're going to ask about next. It's the Fairmont's the controlling agency for the drug task force that operates in this area. Uh, we have the only drug task force in Marion County. 
and we have the only full-time members assigned to uh, the multi-jurisdictional Three Rivers Drug and Violent Crime Task Force. Uh, we're currently partnered with Whitehall uh, Police Department, uh, where we receive some part-time assistance, uh, and the detective division has a close working relationship with the task force and regularly acts as a contributory member to them, uh, just because a lot of operations require more than just two or three people. Right, especially in task force work. Especially in the task force work. So our detective division has uh, four members uh, assigned to it, and they handle a lot of the felonies, uh, following up with patrol, assisting uh, with felony investigations that come from our patrol division, um, some specialty assignments that come from me. Uh, they do a lot of our background checks for new applicants, gun crimes, missing people, things like that. So in addition to their everyday detective duty assignments, most I think every one of them does have supplementary duties. So because of the caseload, the supervisor even takes calls uh, within the detective division, assigns himself cases because they usually work uh, day shift, eight to four hours. They'll take turns being on call where they're available by phone any time of day or night. And again, if something big comes in, it's usually an all hands on deck and everybody comes out to us. Right. And they're always busy with other things, too. I mean, we have one detective. Uh, we actually have two detectives that are Celebrite operators, which is specialized uh, computer software training to be able to download phones. So even when our patrol division takes cell phones or laptops or whatever that needs downloaded, they're uh, working cases for them. Uh, not directly, but trying to get information for them. Uh, one of the detectives is a DRE. Uh, there's only one, uh, 33 of them in the entire state, but he's a recognized expert nationally to be able to identify uh, drug-related um, people that are under the influence of drugs, uh, not even just identify the fact that they're impaired, but what type of drug they may be impaired under. We have uh, Lieutenant Kellers in charge of our clandestine lab response team. If there's a uh, clan lab, meth lab, like you used to hear about, um, we we have officers that are all certified to respond to those clan labs um, and mitigate them and work with the EPA to make sure everything's properly disposed of and decontaminated. Our detective, we have one that's assigned to the U.S. Marshal Service. He's a, a specially deputized federal agent. Uh, he's assigned to the Mountain State Fugitive Task Force. He can assist with criminal apprehension in addition to his regular duties. I think uh, in 21, he uh, went out and assisted in the capture of 12 people, in addition to his regular caseload. So uh, firearms training unit, we have another detective that's a range instructor. So the detectives take on a whole bunch of roles. It's a really high-stress sort of position that uh, is chosen from among senior officers based on their proactiveness, ability to work, specializations, things like that. So the officers who are detectives, they've been with the department for a while. They've, they've been with the department long enough to be able to prove themselves as independent operators, um, been able to prove that they're able to work within uh, small group units. Mm -hmm. We don't have a uh, task force uh, or a, uh, I'm sorry, a SWAT team mm -hmm. uh, like some of the other larger agencies that you have. So when we do warrants, warrant executions and, and search warrants and arrest warrants, they have to all work together as a cohesive team to make entry and things like that. So we don't be trained together and uh, and they work together well and we just pick officers that like i said have proven themselves and can work in that small group environment and bring with them a certain uh, set of skills when i went to investigations i had no inclination to go there mm -hmm. i kind of enjoyed being a patrol officer but i was promoted into the position 
So that isn't always necessarily the case where you get to choose who goes there. Right. Um, but definitely it's a, it's an attribute that comes with the job. Now, you, you broke down some pretty specific positions within the uh, investigations branch, such as uh, cell bright operator, um, drug recognition expert, and uh, being certified for uh, clandestine labs. Do those individuals have to get outside certification to have those positions? Most of the positions I listed are outside certifications, but it's not that you have to be an investigator to have those. We have, uh, I would almost call them opportunities because uh, there are specialized trainings that officers can get, um, you know, whether you're in the road or you're in the uh, detective division, you're able to seek out things that you may be interested in or which you think that you may have you may want to specialize in so yeah we have uh, like I said the drug recognition expert um, one of the it's the only one in Marion County uh, but right below that is a ride which is uh, advanced roadside impairment driving enforcement it's a special two-day school uh, we have nearly half our officers that have received that training uh, we have a canine unit which currently has two dogs in it and they're both dogs are certified in article searches, narcotic detection, tracking and patrol work. Um, we have officers that are signed as neighborhood watch coordinators. Uh, we have two officers that are signed as school resource officers. Uh, we have eight officers included in that uh, clandestine lab response team that I was telling you about. Most of those are not within investigations. They're in patrol. Uh, they, they have their yearly certifications that they have to maintain. We have active shooter instructors. I believe we have seven active shooter instructors now that are certified in all kinds of specialties from Alice to Alert to Laser that are able to go into schools or businesses or community groups and give some sort of education on how to respond to active shooter situations. Crisis negotiators, uh, designated marksmen. We have an officer set up with a uh, mobile license plate reader from his cruiser, which requires uh, coordination with the state fusion office. And I know a lot of these are acronyms, but I'm mm-hmm. just saying that if somebody is looking at us from another agency or looking at us uh, to see what we have to do, you can look more into it and see that there's highly specialized uh, job opportunities yeah. out there with us. Now, yeah. I, th- I think the police department may probably more than any other department within the city has the most room and opportunity for growth i would like to think that i, I mean I, after listening to you break break yeah. break that down i would i would probably say so i mean and then you go into uh i wasn't even finished we have the, yeah they uh we have three members that are part of the fbi's joint terrorism task force okay. Uh, we have child safety seat technicians wow. where you can schedule appointments or go by the police department to make sure that your safety seat's installed correctly. I think we're the only law enforcement agency in Marion Ooh, County that has that. Oh, that's good to know. That's uh, really good to know. Radiolog- uh, radiological hazmat techs. We have 16 certified law enforcement instructors. Uh, 20 of us are certified field training officers, four range officers. We have firearm armors, Narcan instructors, tactical medical instructors. Um, the cell bright operators that I was talking about, cell hawk operators, that actually maps some of the uh, downloads that you get from phones with GPS coordination and things like that. The Google reverse searches to find out who is where and taser instructors less than lethal. It goes on and on mm-hmm. about all these different opportunities that we have here. Yeah. And they all require somebody that's committed to learning uh, their craft and, and using it 
for the good of law enforcement within the county. I knew that you guys had so many things going on at the police department, but all of these different trainings and certifications is overwhelming, but amazing. I mean, it really is incredible to know that that's what the quality of of law enforcement that we have in Fairmont. And a lot of this is just rambling. And there's no way that you'll be able to refer to it later. But some of these things might stand out in your head. And it might be one of those things that you saw on TV that you just didn't realize that our little town had. Well, like for me, I have two small children who are both in car seats. And I think that that's great to know that, you know, there's car seat technicians at the police department. Mm -hmm. So... I'm having all these ideas pop up in my head for community events, Chief, so get, all right. get ready. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things I stress, too, when you take on certain trainings like those, that there's an expectation, and and they all know it beforehand, that you're going to be utilized at right. uh, events, community events, and mm-hmm. and, uh, to inter- and you're going to be expected to interact with the public. Yeah. Well, before we start talking a little bit about community events and community outreach, can you give us a light breakdown of the hiring process? And, and if, if you are interested in becoming a police officer, what are those steps that you need to take? If you're interested in becoming law enforcement here, uh, the best thing that you can do is file an interest form with the city clerk, Janet Keller. Our uh, applications for police officer are usually only taken a couple times a year. Uh, whenever you file that uh, interest form with the city clerk, she'll take down your email, your phone number, and then notify you when a test date does get announced. Then once a test is scheduled, she'll email or contact you, uh, send you the application by phone or by email or phone, fill it out, get it back into us within a span of time, and that's what starts your consideration for law enforcement. So in addition to that, you know, there's a written test is usually the first step in your evaluation for a police officer. Uh, you'll take part in the written test, and once the applicant is successful with the written exam, we'll contact them to take part in a physical agility test to measure their ability to pass the current West Virginia State Police uh, agility standards, entrance standards. Right now, it consists of a mile and a half run in 14 minutes and 36 seconds, 18 push-ups, and 28 sit-ups within one minute. Uh, those standards are the same regardless of age or gender. So you have to be somewhat intelligent to pass the written test. You have to be somewhat physically fit to be able to pass the physical agility standards. And that's really just the beginning of our evaluation for somebody as a police applicant uh, because following the physical agility test, the applicants will undergo in-depth psychological evaluation, a polygraph exam, a medical exam, a panel interview of senior officers shooting uh, high-speed questions at you, polygraph test, medical exam, panel interview, and be subjected to uh, in-depth background investigation where we'll talk to neighbors, references, employers, look at your credit history, look for any signs of uh, turpitude, but also look at your abilities and your aptitudes, your ethics, and things like that. So then once we gather all that together, um, that information will be presented to the city manager for her consideration and employment, and she'll, you know, take into consideration our findings and my thoughts on the applicant. And but that decision is finally made by our police civil service commission. Okay, it starts off by getting a hold of Janet Keller. Gotcha. Basically, be between 18 years of age and 40 years of age, and have a high school diploma or GED. And you know, we've seen uh, great people come through the ranks that have had uh, you know just a high school education. And then we've also seen people fail that have been um, master's degree applicants. So, wow. uh, you know, formal education always doesn't mean 
make you the best police officer. Right. Um, it, it takes a certain aptitude, a certain willingness to help the community, a certain ability to deal with tough situations and uh, finite resources and things like that. Now, at what degree or point is it required for someone to go to the state police academy? Every police officer in the state has to receive certification through the West Virginia State Police Academy right now. Okay. You cannot start unless you go to the academy? Correct. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. Well, so you, if you have never been a police officer before, but if you have and you're coming from another agency, what's that process like? Um. Let me get back to yours real quick okay. while it's fresh in my head, if you don't mind. Okay, because that, that's always been kind of, at what point are employees within your department required to go to the State Police Academy? The, the selection into the West Virginia State Police Academy has been kind of random. So what we do is we go through all these prior steps, which we have to have before we send their application into the State Police Academy. We'll hire them with the anticipation that they'll make it to the Police Academy from one month to four months after hire. Okay. So that's what we would like to have happen. Okay. Uh, and during that initial phase, if somebody that hasn't been a uh, certified law enforcement officer in West Virginia before, they'll go through what's called initial training which is basically us having them do tasks around the office to see how they interact uh, with other employees, to see how proactive they are, to see how industrious they are, kind of give us a judge of them as a person. We'll give them some uh, initial training with their firearms, self-defense tactics, things like that, before they actually enter into either our field training officer program or they go to the police academy. And again, that's not up to us. the, the state police tells us when they have an opening for us, and we try to fill that opening in as soon okay. as possible. So we could be sending an applicant to the police academy their first month with us or their fourth month with okay. us. Okay. Sometimes even longer than that. But at some point, everyone everyone goes. At some point, gotcha. everyone goes. Okay. Yes. That's always been kind of kind of confusing to me. Right. Even if even if an officer comes from another state, they have what's called a lateral entry where that officer can go down to a certain police academy class and receive an equivalency certification, you know, get honed in on West Virginia mm-hmm. law and things like that. Uh, and But the, even they have to do some attendance at the police academy gotcha. to become certified in the state of West Virginia. Gotcha. Now, of course, if we hire somebody from another jurisdiction or that's already been West Virginia certified, they don't have to go through the police academy again just because they come to us for employment. Uh, but they, we do still enter them into our field training officer program. Uh, for additional training okay as if they were a new officer out of the academy we begin that if, yeah. if somebody has significant i'd say more than two years experience mm-hmm. we uh, put them through what's called an accelerated field training officer program field training officer program is something that we developed you know other agencies have it but ours is specifically honed ours where um for new officers, it's 16 weeks long, divided into four different phases. And there's a checklist, a weekly and a daily checklist to make sure that they're picking up on certain skills. There's also end of phase evaluations to make sure that they were successful at the, each one, at the end of each one of those phases. Um, and it also specifies the amount of input that rookie officer is to have whenever they handle situations. So phase one is an officer that has received his initial training from us in self-defense, firearms, things like that. We can put him into our field training officer program before they go to the police academy. 
and what they'll, they're expected to do about 10% of the work. They're expected to listen and learn and watch their field training officer that's assigned to them for that phase operate and handle situations and things like that. But they're expected to like learn streets, learn zones, learn the organization, read policy, understand policy, personnel rules, things like that. So there's a lot of learning involved in that first phase. And then they can go to phase two, but at some point before they go into the final two phases, they have to attend the police academy. So that sometimes works as a break, mm-hmm. and it really just depends on how soon we can get officers in. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how long is the police academy? Well, it depends. Okay. It, it was normally 16 weeks long, weekends off. They, we've had multiple hybrid models because of COVID, mm-hmm. where officers have been expected to spend uh, between five and 10 weeks uh, down at the police academy uh, nonstop without weekends off, kind of like basic training, to where they've had to go down there nonstop for a portion of the training and then do some virtual uh, training. We've had sometimes they have to go down and they're allowed to come back on the weekends, but it's based on a 16 week, I believe approximately 600 training hours are involved when they're finally certified okay. approximately. Outside of patrol and investigations, explain community outreach functions of the department. Some of the things that you uh, do as a department to you know, show the community that you guys are here and not just intimidating police officers. Right. I mean, law enforcement really hasn't been law enforcement for a few decades now. Um, but I like to think that we're always improving on the community aspect of it. I think we have great working relationships with several groups and service agencies that operate in Marion County and the state. And we try to be responsive and attentive to community needs and their requests. Um, I either attend or have someone attend multiple meetings, or we may even be in the board of a whole bunch of groups and projects uh, from STOP, which is domestic violence, SART, sexual assault, uh, board education, uh, community engagement specialist meetings for homeless and mental health, stakeholders meetings, also addressing um, homelessness and mental health. We go to, the, of course, the uh, city manager department head meetings and learn about other needs that the community may have to try to get a foothold into those that we are aware of Um, but i like to think that we're pretty aware of a lot of the stuff going on in the city Mm -hmm. we belong to the pierpont uh, criminal justice advisory board uh, family resource network uh, again the fbi jttf the local emergency planning committee the marion county 911 advisory board we belong to the uh, multidisciplinary team for child abuse and sexual assaults Parking Authority, Safe Commission with the Sexual Assault uh, Forensic Examination Commission, uh, the SAPC, Substance Abuse Prevention Coalition. It's been on hiatus since COVID, but it was a pretty good group. BAWA, the Victims Against uh, Women group, uh, Marion County Community Corrections, or Day Report, and all their subsidiaries, Adult Drug Court, Juvenile Drug Court. Uh, we belong to the uh, Quick Response Team uh, that does overdose intervention, um, that's basically sponsored by the health department, uh, the Child Advocacy Center, that part of our MDIT partners, and a whole lot more. Um, but we've also coordinated with a whole other host of groups. Yeah. Uh, we've taken part in um, the FRN School Backpack and Supply Giveaway, uh, the Mobile Food Banks, mm-hmm. uh, Mobile Food uh, Drive Throughs. Uh, those are put on by Connecting Link and the uh, Fairmont Marion. Uh, housing authority we've done student nights of prayer three rivers festival 
We've done the relays for life. We've taken part in the Memorial Motorcycle Rides that have been put on by different groups, Belgian Fest and VFW. Uh, we've been part of the East Fairmont uh, Homecoming Parade, of course, Fairmont Seniors, Halloween Trunk or Treat events, all those that go on, uh, Veterans Day parades. Uh, we've got a pretty good foothold in a lot of different community groups and community events that mm-hmm. go on just to uh, be part of it. Also, National Night Out. National Night Out, which I didn't want to uh, talk about because <laughs> I had missed it the last couple of years. Well, I was going to say, are we well, going to have National Night Out this year? I think we almost have to. Yeah. I think it was a very well-received uh, event. It gave well, we us haven't a chance had to it. really partnership. Well, we haven't had it for the last few years because of COVID and, you know, the community. We don't want to make anybody feel like we're not accessible if they don't feel comfortable coming to, right. to an event like that. So so will National Night Out be coming back in 2022? Yes. Okay. Great. Awesome. Yeah, I thought it was a great event. First Tuesday in August, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Details coming soon. <laughs> yeah, National Night Out is, um, Hannah and I had helped you in the past w- with the event, and it's basically just a, a community-wide event where you can come and, and eat food and and meet the police officers and, and, and many other service organizations that, that partner mm-hmm. with the event. And it's in the summer. It's nice weather. There's yep. no, normally a lot of activities going on. And I think we had live music uh, the first time. We had live music one yeah. year. We've had a DJ. I think the DJ worked out really well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, businesses participated. Lots of the nonprofits that the police department partners with were there. Mm-hmm. Other agencies you guys help me immensely with that, and I appreciate especially reaching out to the businesses. It does give us a chance to interact with them, uh, the community groups we interact with pretty regularly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes the businesses may not be aware of some of the things that we can offer to mm-hmm. them, like the active shooter training or the child safety seat uh, technician uh, specialties and, and whatnot. So appreciate your help in the yeah. past. Yeah. Hopefully looking forward to it again. Yeah. Sure thing. Yeah. Can't Def- wait. We'll definitely get more details about it out uh, for people to save save your, that date on your calendars, but uh, more details to come. Now, I've, I've got a question for you. So this is something that a lot of folks probably contemplate or, or think about when they have an issue. So if someone has a serious issue that isn't an immediate emergency, um, what is the best way to get your information to the department, um, specifically 911 versus uh, the non-emergency number as well as uh, anonymous tips? The biggest thing I need to stress is for people to call the police when suspicious activity or a perceived crime or any sort of event is immediately seen or observed. Okay. And... You know, I know sometimes that we all have a tendency to not call right away because we don't think it's a big deal. Right. Uh, but that can either boil over, and mm-hmm. which there's multiple events, and finally somebody will just have their last draw and they'll be upset that nothing was being done about it or want something done immediately. Whereas we can maybe ease into addressing a problem if we can get called whenever it's first observed. And I know that people maybe have an avoidance to contacting the police about some minor matters, but... Uh, you know, calling is always the easiest because if you call into police dispatch, which is 304-366-4200 or 366-4201, it takes you to Central Communications uh, run by Marion County. And a lot of times, um, you know, it, it may be 
something that can be resolved even outside of police that dispatchers may be able to get you to the right person for, okay. whether it's a parking issue uh, or maybe a animal control issue or something like that. So you may not even have to contact the police about the matter if you try to reach out for some assistance early on. But if you do need an officer, one would be definitely dispatched immediately if you call in. If you can't get through to that number for some reason, it's busy or, or whatever the situation is, just hit 911. As long as you have a real need for the police to be there, and you know even if it's minor, you're not going to get in trouble on it unless you're trying to, you know, get upset about not getting ketchup with your fries at McDonald's or something along those lines. Uh, you know, if you if you need to get through, you hit 911. Sometimes it's too hard to Google a number or look up mm-hmm. a number or uh, or get through. Just hit 911 if you really need assistance, and, and the proper assistance will get to you. So sometimes we, we might need some additional information from somebody in order to um, address a complaint, um, but... If you really want to remain anonymous, all you have to do is tell the call taker that you want to remain anonymous and that you'd rather not have your phone number given over the air or your okay. address given over the air. And if you tell the dispatcher that, they should not relay that to the officer. You shouldn't have an officer um, asking for your phone number over the radio. You shouldn't have an officer knocking on your door to get more information. Um, but if you're willing to let the dispatcher know that you'd like to uh, maintain a little anonymity, Minity, uh, then we can get more information from you to follow up on the complaint more. You know, sometimes saying that somebody doesn't look right wearing a backpack downtown isn't enough for us to get into a search and seizure of somebody's personal belongings. Right. But if uh, they can articulate what they actually saw and that it was an actual crime, then that gives us a little more ability to investigate the allegation. Okay. So, you know. I understand the hesitation of people to put their information out whenever they call in, but we need the calls to know where there's where we're having issues at in the city. We need the calls to be able to log that there was a problem there, uh, who the problem was with, uh, to get officers into the area to immediately address a, a concern or problem because, you know, even a parked car, telling us there was a parked car somewhere two days ago doesn't help us resolve that parking mm-hmm. complaint. Telling us that... Uh, you know, a, a U-Haul just left and not being able to give us a, a, a description or location or get any additional follow-up for where it went to doesn't really help us out. So, you know, we need immediate information. We need we need you to be as specific as you can. Okay. Um, but the immediacy and um, the request to uh, keep whatever information you want anonymous is probably the biggest thing that, that can help us out because as long as we know we can call you to try to get more we'll give you a call we don't have to put your information over the radio we don't have to find out where you live or anything like that okay good deal so your department obviously covers so many things um and your calls are anywhere from just a regular traffic stop to you know a much bigger case that involves the detective units of felony charges something like that so can you give us some statistics or an overview of what your department accomplishes within a year oh i can rattle them off you want to get ready to make some notes on anything you want more information about (laughs) but uh our, the, the dispatchers that I asked people to call into, they took seventy-five to over 75,000 calls for service uh, in all of Marion County. That's fire, EMS, police, um, all the police agencies. We handled 23,000 of them. So we took 30% of all dispatch calls uh, for medic 
fire, police in the entire county. On those 23,000 calls, we gave 33,000 responses, over 33,000 responses. That means if two officers were needed to go to a domestic, that counts more. So 33,382 times we were running around town trying to get stuff done, being responsive to calls for a department that was basically 34 officers. That's a pretty huge call volume. Mm-hmm. So we wrote uh, 1,724 incident reports um, for offenses that occurred in the city. Uh, the crimes may actually be more than that because some incidents involve multiple offenses. Um, our drug task force opened 30 new cases in 2021. There's an exorbitant amount of investigation needed in those sorts of cases uh, because they're manpower intensive and they use specialized techniques to try to establish solid distribution cases. And again, that's what our task force does, is they don't work on possession charges, they work on distribution, manufacturing type cases. Um, So more than 87% of their buys concentrated on fentanyl and composites. Um, We haven't seen pure heroin for a couple years now. So when we talk about 87% of uh, cases involving fentanyl, we're talking about, in the composites, we're talking about Heroin that may be uh, may have fentanyl introduced into it. Tramadol, prescription drugs. We're seeing pressed pills that have fentanyl in them. Uh, so that really takes up a lot of our cases. Even meth now can have uh, fentanyl residue in it. Uh, the other buys were made on crack, cocaine, and meth. We didn't have many on marijuana, uh, regardless of uh, public sentiment sometimes. But our task force does not concentrate on uh, marijuana manufacturing or distribution. Um, So our task force made 56 um, felony arrests and investigations and three misdemeanor arrests and investigations. Uh, The arrest numbers, again, aren't indicative of the total number of charges uh, because people are usually arrested for one crime and then at grand jury or following charges, uh, additional charges will be levied against them. Um, In one federal case, our task force had 11 individuals charged on a 25-account indictment in U.S. District Court uh, stemming from an investigation that began in 2019. Several of the the individuals arrested were arrested by the U.S. Marshal Service in other states, including Michigan, Nevada, and Arkansas. Uh, Three people so far have received a total of 685 months incarceration. Those three were all from Detroit. So again, our task force concentrates on long-term investigations, drug investigations, including uh, distribution and manufacturing, and those aren't just one-time buys. We can't just go into a house and say this person was dealing because they have scales. Our task force does investigations to where the U.S. attorneys feel comfortable bringing those uh, people with federal charges because that's really where the weight of time comes from. And so, I and I remember this from when we had Fairmont 101, and you used mm-hmm. to always say this, like, the task force is looking for a case where they can arrest several people. You're not really necessarily looking for one person. You're going to investigate it out to where you could get as many as possible. That's right, because once the dominoes start to fall, they all kind of fall. Right. Now, we don't allow people who are informants or our investigations to go to where people's personal safety are uh, jeopardized. Right. Um, But we'll watch the conduct and movement of product, and we'll make 
you know, nationwide cases for it. I mean, we have cases that go out to Colorado and California and international cases. So, yeah, if we're not making an immediate arrest, it's because we, when we do arrest somebody, we want to take them off the streets for a very long period of time, not to impose some one-year probation incarceration sentence. But our task force was also able to take 11 guns off the street during the uh, uh, search warrants and arrest warrants in 2021. And four of those, the people were already prohibited because of other felony convictions. Even one of the firearms they uh, were able to seize uh, was linked to 2021 uh, Preston County murder. It's just that our investigations and our task force, you know, while people would like to call tips directly into them, the best course of action to really see what's going on there is to call dispatch immediately, let a patrol officer go out there, and all our patrol officers know that information that we gain or arrests that they make or whatever they do, if it's worthy of getting forwarded to the task force, they'll pass it on. You may not know this necessarily right off the top of your head, but just purely out of curiosity, what is the, from one case, what is the most people that have been arrested? I don't remember the number of people that were mm-hmm. arrested, but we did a joint federal operation about 2012-2013 mm-hmm. uh, called Operation Blue Haze. Thinking we drew 50 to 70 people out of that investigation. And those were people that weren't from here. Most of them were not from here. Or many of them were not. I don't remember the composition of the people, but we did have locals along with... um, People from out of state. National. Compared compared to to other places within the state, as well as other um, locations throughout the country, how would you describe the the crime rate in Fairmont? It feels about average okay. from what I can see. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, it's always going to appear worse to people that live here, right. and it actually feels worse to me working here. But whenever I talk to other law enforcement officers or agency heads, they have pockets of crime. They have the same issues that we're having, you know, with, with fentanyl and and out-of-state drug dealers and the Detroit connection and all that. It, it's a uh, it's a trend around North Central West Virginia, and you can see it whenever you watch the news. It's not just us that's arresting uh, you know, somebody from Detroit or somebody that's decided to to make a small town their home. It's it's uh, a North Central West Virginia phenomenon to deal with that right now, and the same issues that we're having are being experienced in Morgantown and Clarksburg. You know, when when we look at the homelessness here. You know, people are still experiencing that in Morgantown and Clarksburg, too. It's not a Fairmont phenomenon. Right, right. But to the people of Fairmont, I understand. It does feel like it's in your backyard and Mm -hmm. you have a personal interest in it and we want to try to make it right. So basically, the the crime right here isn't isn't anything out of the ordinary um, compared to other places throughout the state. I don't believe so. Uh, okay. I, I mean, and I know that we've gotten uh, certain UCR awards for being, uh, you know, one of the top whatever it is, safest city in West Virginia, whether it's number two one year, number four Mm -hmm. this year. And I don't necessarily agree with the UCR uh, data compilation, but it it is relative to other cities. And I know that, uh, you know, it's not just a Fairmont phenomenon. I wish we could uh, just take it all out, but that's just not a a reality of what we're dealing with. And a lot of people just don't realize how much is outside the span of our control, whether mm-hmm. it's building a neighborhood bond to be able to, you know, um, tackle homelessness and some of the perceived crimes that go along with that, or whether it's our inability to control what a judge or magistrate decides to do with somebody that uh, should, in our opinion, be receiving a, a, 
a prison sentence or a, a jail stay. We gotcha. Just, we or a harsher one. Yeah, that's usually the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I, I think we could probably talk to you about this stuff for another I know. two or three hours. But uh, before we wrap up, do you have any additional additional comments or anything else that folks would would like to, you would want folks to know about you and your position or just the police department as a whole? So in 2021, detectives took on 144 investigations. Uh, that's not including cases where there was more than one detective assigned or we went out and we assisted patrol or we assisted another agency in their investigation. Uh, of those, we had uh, 31 sex crimes. Uh, we investigated nine suspicious deaths, eight stolen vehicles, eight stolen guns, uh, six arsons or suspicious fires. Uh, we investigated 10 shootings and robberies and made 24 arrests in those, which is a pretty good clearance. Uh, there were two murders that we investigated in 2021. Uh, we uh, had the murder investigation of the four-year-old uh, that resulted in four arrests. Then we also had the murder of a 51-year-old man off of Locust Avenue after he succumbed to injuries received during an altercation over uh, circumstances related to drug dealing. Also in the 144 cases our investigations looked into, there were 11 missing people uh, that were reported to us. All 11 of those were located. Um, two of those happened to be uh, located deceased, though. And then I have our patrol statistics to go to you. All right. Let's hear it. Because of our reporting software, sometimes it's hard to get uh, completely accurate numbers with what we report, but uh, we've pretty much determined that our patrol division conducted 3,748 premise checks. That's where we check out businesses and homes to make sure that everything was okay. Uh, we did about 2,000 traffic stops. We responded to 534 domestic incidents, responded to 52 shots fired complaints. We were involved in 12 vehicle pursuits in the location of 16 missing juveniles and 36 missing persons. We took 153 drug possession complaints, 232 breaking and entering complaints, 134 shopliftings, 253 trespassing complaints, 25 vandalism complaints, 58 fights, 62 overdoses, 10 counterfeit currency complaints, and 172 vehicle crashes. So I know that missing persons and the missing juveniles might throw you off, but those were all able to be handled by patrol and didn't require the resources of the detective division to do follow-up and on it was uh, the kid came home or we located the person somewhere gotcha. else. We made uh, 1,581 arrests. 25% uh, of those were for felonies. We wrote 1,400 citations. At least 20% of those were for criminal matters like trespass shoplifting disturbing the peace we arrested approximately 23 juveniles and at least 347 people were taken to jail um, on various charges throughout the year so that's about 30,000 miles in jail travels we did so you can see that we had a whole host of uh, stats and figures and responses and a whole wide variety of things and that's that's about it speaking of jail so whenever you arrest somebody, where do was, they go to? I was going to ask. Yeah. I was literally about to ask that. When we arrest somebody, it depends on what the charge is. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's a state offense, which means the warrant came from magistrate court, family court, circuit court, and the court is closed, we really don't have an option in that. We can't allow that person to have bail. The magistrate, family court judge, or circuit court judge needs to set that bail. Also for... Um, probation and parole violations, that person needs to go directly to jail. So 
If it's after hours, that person has to be transported to the North Central Regional Jail. If the charge is a city charge, um, we have the option to be able to take bond, uh, give them a release so that they can show back up for municipal court. So if we have a city charge and that person isn't able to make bond, or it's going to be a while before they can make bond, or we have a state charge and somebody has to go to jail, if it's within a few hours of court opening up, we can hold on to that person. We don't hold anybody for more than 12 hours. That's the general policy that we work under, but the actual way that it works is we won't keep any, we won't keep somebody in our custody for more than four hours. If, if there is, uh, usually if we have somebody and we know they're not going to be able to make bond or that the judge isn't going to be available, we will take them immediately to jail so that we don't have that liability of having that person in custody. Just to now, in that situation, would you do you utilize the cow co- the county's holding facility? Do they use that facility anymore? The, the county does have their own holding facility, kind of like we have a holding facility. Okay, I, I, see, I didn't I would I didn't realize that the city had a holding facility. Yeah, our holding mm-hmm. facility is a, a three cell facility. We work on monitor it ourselves. Gotcha. We do our own transports. Whereas the jail, I believe they have jailers that actually handle the um, the custody of the people that are waiting. And uh, they have jail transport officers that do the transports. Okay. Our officers do all the watching of the of the person in custody and the transportation down to jail. Okay. Now I I know I know we've we've ran kind of long here, but I do have I do have one more thing I want to ask. So when nine one one gets a call, so so we have the city city police, we have the county police. Do all calls within city limits go? straight to the city could some of them go to the county how does how, how exactly does that work you're talking about a police call for service that goes yes. into dispatch yeah they will all go to us okay that, that is the general rule okay there, there are certain times where somebody will call in where they don't feel like they've gotten the right answer from us and they'll call in to talk gotcha. to the sheriff or the state police usually we're made aware of that usually that person is advised that we've already handled their call they can talk to if if, if somebody's <laughs> no not way. happy with uh, with a response that they get from an officer or don't think that we did the right thing in a certain situation. Uh, the the other big thing takeaway I wanted people to know is that they can ask to talk to that officer supervisor, whether it's the officer in charge for the shift or whether it's the officer sergeant. If they're not happy with that officer sergeant's response, they can go to the lieutenant. If they're not happy with the lieutenant's response, they can go to me. If they're not happy with my response, they can go to the city manager. Uh, so there's a whole chain of people that can be talked to if you're not satisfied with the response. Now, gotcha. You know, if you get if you don't think that you deserved a speeding ticket, your first stop shouldn't be to call the police chief or the city manager. Um, but the, there is a, a natural progression to being able to make sure that a complaint was properly handled or the situation was properly addressed. So, um, yeah, usually whenever people call in the dispatch, it will go to the city. Uh, regardless of who they ask to speak with. If we're too busy to handle a complaint, that officer in charge, whoever's in charge for the shift, will know about it and will ask for service from either Fairmont State, County, State, somebody that's available to help. I got you. We're always made aware of a complaint that's made within the city. Okay. Uh, Whenever it's addressed by another agency, it's usually uh, a a need-based decision. Gotcha. It's, okay. it's not on yeah. the dispatcher and it's not on the desires of the complainant. That answers the question. Perfect. Well, I think we've uh, we we got a lot of a lot of good information. 
from you today mm-hmm. on, on, on this episode, and we really appreciate you coming in, and uh, maybe we'll have you on again soon, because like I said, I, it's a lot. I, I think we it's can talk for another two or three more hours. And uh, I, I also just appreciate you. you. You work very close with our department when needed, and, and I think we have a, a pretty good line of communication. So yeah. thank you for your service, and, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, thank you, you guys. So Absolutely. Uh, you can follow the city on Facebook, City of Fairmont City Hall, to get updates about the podcast. And you can get this podcast anywhere that you get your podcast: Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. Anywhere. Yeah. And I, I always say this, uh, five-star rating. I know that you can do that on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. <laughs> And also hit that follow button. So hit the follow button. Give us a five-star rating if you can. Also, um, we've been doing this for a little over 20 episodes at this point. Um, we've got a if, – if this is your first time with us, I do suggest and, and recommend that you go and, and listen to some of our uh, older episodes because uh, we, we've gotten to a lot of great stuff so far. We've, we've, talk, we've talked to a lot of uh, – a lot of our city employees and a lot of folks from other agencies, and there's a lot of useful information in there. So, so definitely uh, dig back into that catalog and, and, and keep up with us moving forward. Yeah, more things to come. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, this has been the Fairmont Bridge, the city of Fairmont's official podcast, and we are signing off. Bye. Bye.